Father, your love and grace and truth are deeper than the oceans. They're higher than the heavens. Indeed, the heavens of the heavens cannot contain you. You are so great and awesome and vast. And at the same time, you are deeply personal and up close to us as you've demonstrated through the giving and sending of your son, Jesus. And, and then with his return to your right hand, you've sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. So we are truly yours as we put our trust in your, your son, Jesus. You've given the greatest gift of all. And Father, part of our following him, part of our investment in living for him is in what we do with our finances and that is beyond just giving to what we do here on, through Harvest, but part of it involves that as a church family. So I pray, Father, this will be a time where we gratefully will give back to you through your servants here at Harvest what you have first given to us and trusting us with, with funds and money to use wisely and a whole of life and to invest in specifically for the cause of, of the gospel and the building up of your church. So take this money and do way beyond anything that we could even ask or think with it, but we know that it's a good thing to ask that it will result in strengthening of the church and the spread of the gospel for, the, for your glory. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Continuing our series on commitments for a healthy church, Harvest has some written-out commitments, uh, the, the papers available back at the information desk. And we artificially split up one of the subjects having to do with advancing the gospel, or in other words, missions. And last week we talked about advancing the gospel through deeds or works. And this week we're talking about advancing the gospel through words. And the reality is that's an artificial distinction because we're always doing both. The two always go together. However, words, gospel words, do have the ultimate priority Think of a scene where Jesus was healing and casting out demons and people were saying, hey, we want more of that. Stick around. Stay in our town and keep doing that. And Jesus said, I must go to other cities and preach the gospel because that is what I was sent for. So Jesus' primary work was to speak the words of the gospel, though he himself demonstrated that that was accompanied by works that testified for his God's love for people and for uh, evidence of his messiahship. What we're looking at today is a pretty familiar text to most, most of us, Matthew 28. It's familiar, familiarly called, wow, that was a hard word, the Great Commission. And so let's look at this text together. Hope it's not so familiar that we just glaze over. We'll, we'll talk about it, and we'll talk about how to apply it. And that's Matthew 28. last part Matthew 28 16 to 20 now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them and when they saw him they worshipped him but some doubted And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
May the Heavenly Father grant us a spirit to rightly apply and understand his word. After Jesus' death and burial, and after the Sabbath, Mary Magdalene and another Mary, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, but another Mary, went to the grave to um, see if they could apply some embalming to Jesus. And they were surprised to find an angel in lightning-white clothing. Standard angel talk, they're trained to do this every time, so if you ever run into an angel, you'll know it because they will say, do not be afraid. (laughs) Right off the bat, that's what they're always going to say. And they said, I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Sorry, but he is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. So check it out. And then go tell his disciples to meet meet him in Galilee. So they, on their way, they bump into Jesus. They worship him. And uh, Jesus also tells them to go tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. So they're pretty clear that's what they're supposed to do. So they go to Galilee, the disciples, to a mountain that must have been where Jesus had said, go meet me at this mountain. And when they see him, they worship him like the ladies did. But Matthew tells us that some of them doubted. What Doubted what? What was going on with that doubt? Because they're worshiping him, but some doubted. Well, we don't know. Matthew doesn't tell us, but that doesn't stop us from speculating ever, does it? But it's easy to imagine some ways they may have doubted. Um, Did some wonder if this was really Jesus? You know, we can understand because they had just seen him die a horrible death that their first response is, yeah, I think it's Jesus, but could it really be? So that's pretty easy to imagine that emotional doubt, that emotional kind of questioning, could this be for real? And then uh, even though Jesus had told them several times he would be killed and, and then raised, they still hadn't gotten it. Again and again and again, every time he said, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised, they, they never really got that. And so they're still, even with the evidence in front of them, not getting it, some of them. Or also their hopes had been crushed. They, they had hoped he was uh, the Messiah. And you know how that is. When your hopes have been crushed, then you see that possibly your hope might be restored, but you struggle with doubt, guarding your heart in fear of being crushed again. Some of you have been there, right? You have your hopes crushed, and then you see, well, maybe, they're, maybe, maybe my hopes might be realized after all, but you guard your heart to keep it from being hurt again. So maybe that's part of what was going on in terms of the doubts. Or also, it may have been something like this. Yes, it's Jesus alive again, but wait. The last time we saw him, we said we, that, we would, uh, uh, that we would rather die for him than, than turn our backs on him. And instead, they all fled. So maybe he's here to fire us. So any, any one of those things could have been going on, or perhaps all of them in some of their hearts. Well, the gospel writers don't present the disciples as superheroes. They are weak and fallible, just like us. And so we, like them, truly love and worship Jesus. I mean, that's true. If you're a Jesus follower, you have it in you to truly love and, and worship and follow him. But we still have doubts about our relationship to him and and even, even we, uh, we believe he is always good, he does what's right, but we get confused sometimes. So, in other words, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. I don't doubt that many of us have varying degrees and types of doubts regarding Jesus or our relationship to him. But undoubtedly, an area of which we all have experienced doubts is sharing our faith. 
who among us hasn't found that to be some of the most difficult uh, things that we, we do in terms of personal evangelism? Or, and when we see the need for advancing the gospel in our own community or our region, we have doubts. How can we accomplish what's needed to be done? Or, we become aware of something like this, our nation, which seems to be turning its back on the gospel. What do we do about that? Or globally, the task is overwhelming. With count, last time we counted, 7,287 unreached people groups in the world. That is groups of people, ethnic groups, that have no national or ethnic community of believers with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize that people. We'll talk more about that. Well, you say, I was feeling pretty good until you started telling me I'm responsible to share my faith with my neighbors or be concerned about Uzbekistan or United Arab Emirates or about the unraveling of the United States. So let's, let's get some hope here. So let's see what Jesus says about the task of advancing the gospel So verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, has been given to me. So while the disciples are keeping their distance as they worship the risen Jesus, some of them in doubts and fears, Jesus comes to them, he approaches them, and though the words he is about to speak are words of authority, yet he comes near to them. He draws near to them and approaches them. And and he's um, personally going to share with them what he's going to commission them to do. He doesn't stand at a distance and talk in a big, booming voice. He comes right up close and personal and tells them. All authority, he says, has been given to me. And there's four alls in this passage, so we'll note all authority, then he talks about all nations, all I commanded, and always with you. So in his resurrection, Jesus has been vindicated as Son of God and as Messiah, and validated as the one having all authority in heaven and earth. That's a pretty huge claim. I mean, for them to even, for Jesus to say that, it's either he's crazy or it's true. All authority in heaven and earth. Universe, all the authority in the universe is his. And you either hate and reject that, or you love and submit to him as having all authority. Jesus is not like a poor peasant hipster in downtown Portland. He has all authority He has all authority to set the agenda for the world. Jesus is good for that, right? He sets the agenda for the world. All authority is his to do that. He could have brought the the hammer of judgment down on the world. Crucify me, will you? I'll show you. He could have done that. What would you have done had you been cruelly treated like Jesus by your enemies and you turned your back, back turned on by your friends or been mocked and rejected and cruelly killed, and then were given a universal authority? Could you imagine what somebody would do who'd been like that? But Jesus instead sets an agenda for the world that is a good agenda. So what agenda does Jesus present to his disciples for the world? What mandate does he lay out by his ultimate authority over all heaven and earth? Well, we see in verse 19... He starts talking about that. He states that his agenda for the world is that according to his universal authority, his disciples, his disciples are to make disciples of all nations. So what is making a disciple? What is that? Well, making learners, students of Jesus. It's that simple and that hard. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 called this process learning Christ. 
Learning Christ means learning about his life, death, resurrection, and who he is and what that means for my life to be shaped and identified with his life. So learning Christ, making disciples, teaching someone Jesus so that they learn Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, how they are identified with that. What does that mean for my life? My life is completely immersed in, identified with Christ. And I spend the whole rest of my life learning that. That is what it is to be made a disciple. That is what a disciple is. And all we have to do is help people do that, which means we have to have that done unto us as well. And so Jesus' mandate is, don't, is not just, just go out and share the gospel and make sure they get it and get eternal life. It is that for sure included, but it's a whole lifelong process of learning Christ. That's the mandate. That's what Jesus has commanded his disciples to do is go and make disciples. And at the heart of this Jesus-authorized mandate is speaking truth. Use words. Words are necessary. They're not optional. It doesn't mean it's not optional. It is optional for us to speak the truth in love. No, we should speak the truth in love. And we do deeds of love always in context with that. But the pendulum seems to swing sometimes in church history through uh, just being zealous to preach only the words of the gospel and don't care about so much about the lives of the people or getting so wrapped up in the social gospel, the social do-good, that we lose the gospel words in the process. And so the Bible doesn't ever allow us to, to divide those. It's, they're always together with the, the primary priority, ultimate priority being the words of, of the gospel. Because we can do good for people for years and decades, and if they don't hear what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then they won't have eternal life. Because that, even if they like us a lot, you know, the, the goal of the gospel... Uh, of, of making disciples is not to get people to like us. Uh, it's kind of nice if they do, don't you think? But that's not the goal. It's just, if, if we just do good things, the world will like us, and then, and then they'll just come to Jesus. Well, we can do good things, and, and, and we should do good things. We talked about that last week. But it has to be accompanied with the words of the gospel, ultimately, to do them the, the best good, the ultimate good. So the core task of making disciples involves communicating truth about Jesus. You all know this stuff. This is just so basic. This is just so, of course, we all get this. We just have to remind ourselves of what we're here for. And, of course, we model the truth in relationship, yes, but speak the truth, we must. So beyond just making disciples, Jesus said the scope. He said the scope of that is we do that among all nations, make disciples from all nations. William Carey, the father of modern missions, got this well with this very text. And uh, at that time, the church wasn't so keen on going out and going to the nations with the gospel. And so William Carey was teaching, speaking in a meeting of, of pastors and church leaders and saying, hey, this text says this is for us today. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to go and make disciples. And uh, one of the, uh, the leaders in the group said, uh, Mr. Carey, Sit down, for if God wants to save the lost people, he'll do it in his time and his way, and he won't need you or me to do it. Now, we do believe God does the saving, but he uses us to do it, and that's very clear from this text. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples, and as long as Jesus hasn't come back, which I'm looking around, we're still uh, aging, we're still in a corrupt world, so Jesus has not come back yet, right? And so we know that we're supposed to continue this task until he gets back. When, he's, when he gets back, then we're done. But in the meantime, we have a task to carry out. Making disciples of all nations. 
This is not, was not a new plan. It wasn't a last-minute thought that Jesus came up with. This was his plan all along. So we rewind the tapes back to the time of Abram, for example, when God first called Abram, later called Abraham, out of the ethnic groups that were scattered on the, after the rebellion at Babel. He promised to make of him a great nation. You can read about it in Genesis 11 and 12. A great nation he promised he would make, and that was Israel. And he said he would bless him, God would bless Abram, and make his name great. Why? Just so he could be famous and be on the cover of People magazine? Or the Abrahamic Study Bible? No. He uh, was going to bless him so that he would be a blessing. And he, and he promised and said, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Families, ethnic groups. That's what this word nations means. It, in the Greek, it's ethne. And so we get ethnic groups. It's talking about large families of people who have culture and language in common. Ethnic groups. Families, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through Abram, Abraham. So when Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abram, came, he came first to the physical offspring of Abraham, the Jews, or Israel, and then after he had accomplished the blessing, he had accomplished the blessing promised to Abraham, which we see ultimately was eternal life, the gift of being counted righteous by faith in Christ, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, those things were in God's mind when he promised that to bless Abraham and bless the nations. Then, uh, then God said, now take it to the nations. Jesus said, take it to the nations. He commissions his disciples to spread the blessing among all ethnic groups, all families of the earth. But Jesus talked about this in several contexts. One was Luke 24, 47. It's what Jesus emphasized for the 40 days between his resurrection and ascension. Luke 24, 47, Jesus said, Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, meaning the Christ name, his name, Jesus' name, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Or Acts 1, 7 and 8. They were curious. Hey, tell us about the end times. Pull out the prophecy charts. What's happening? What's, you know, when is this going to be wrapped up? Can we, can we bring the kingdom in now? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power. All right, we get power. For what? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So a major reason we have the power of the Holy Spirit is to be Christ's witnesses in every place, near and far, to the ends of the earth, all nations, all people groups, everywhere. That's overwhelming, but not optional. Jesus didn't put the plan on autopilot. He said, I will build my church, but I'm using you to do it, is basically what he's saying here. He entrusted it to his disciples. He entrusted it to the church. So we need to ask, where are we, the global church, in uh, completing the task and accomplishing the task? So i got some numbers on here for your head to swim a bit, I think. There you go. Total unreached people groups, that is, total groups of people uh, among whom there is no indigenous, that is, relevant to them, national, uh, native to their community, no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group. That adds up to about 2.91 billion people. We're up to 7.25 billion people in the world now. So God likes lots of people. 
and he wants to save lots of people. So we need to be concerned about this, that there are that many groups that have no adequate group, either meaning zero believers or maybe a couple uh, nominal believers who are amongst them who are not able or, or to, willing to carry out the task about evangelizing their own people. In fact, there are um, 2,944 so-called nominal people groups, that is, groups that have been exposed to Christianity but really don't have any vital Bible gospel witness in their midst. Now, we need to talk about the 1040 window. I'll just say the numbers, and we'll, then we'll look at the... Well, there's the map already. So there's the map. What we're talking about is in the 1040 window, there are, out of the 7,287 people groups that are yet left to reach, 6,214 of them are in this place called the 1040 window. And out of that, there are 2,280 that are in India alone. They by far have the most unreached people groups. All right, so the 1040 window is this place that goes from North Africa to China in between the 10 degrees north latitude and 40 degrees north latitude. And so, again, within that, there are 6,214 unreached people groups in that. That's one reason we should be concerned about the 68 nations in the 1040 window because they by far have more unreached people groups than any other region of the world. It is the heart of Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and atheism. And since advancing the gospel by deeds and words are inseparable, we uh, also are concerned about the social and physical problems that they have in those nations. The majority of the world's poor are in those nations. majority of them average $250 a year in income. Uh, human trafficking is very high. Slavery, very high. Terrorism is uh, by far the most prevalent in that part of the world. 45 of the 50 worst countries for persecution of Christian believers are in those, is, is in the 1040 window. Pedophilia is rampant. And in terms of mission focus, out of $100, every $100 spent on missions, only five cents goes to this region of the world. Most of the money in missions goes to the already established regions of the world where, where already established mission works. And yet, there are still desperate needs for advancing the gospel that is making disciples outside the 1040 window. So, for example, the nominal countries in Europe and former Soviet Union and so on. So, do we, should we care about these peoples God cares, so we don't have an option. We've got to care. But what do we do? How do we even get our arms, how do we wrap our heart around such a vast task? Does this cause you to go numb and shut down and not want to do anything? Sometimes that's how it feels. It's like they're so big, the problems are so huge, and i got enough problems in my own life, so how can I even siphon off enough focus at all to care about what goes on in terms of the gospel progress among the nations? So we need to seek ways that we can participate in God's global disciple-making plan. So also in verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he tells us how we are to make disciples. Three aspects to it, going, baptizing, and teaching. Disciple-making is not about leading people to Christ and just leaving them on their own. They are to join with other disciples in the life and ministry of the church. 
So an essential scope of disciple-making involves connecting people with churches or planting churches where there are none or where there are no gospel-preaching churches. So the going is the first part of the way that we make disciples. This doesn't mean that every Christian must go across international borders and oceans. What we need to hear in this word is don't be passive. Do something. Be active. God wants us to do something. Christ alone saves, but he calls us to get involved in what he's doing. We'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. And then secondly, baptizing. So baptizing, not just dunk them, just grab a person and dunk them. You know, sometimes in the history of the church they've done that, like use the sword to persuade them to get baptized. So we're not going to use that method, I don't think, at harvest. But um, it's not just getting them in, in water. It is Baptism is a symbol, of course, about being united to Christ and his death and resurrection, being cleansed from sin, and given new life. It is the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, way of declaring that you are trusting Christ alone to save you and that you are coming out publicly as his follower, his disciple. Jesus says we are to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That means even right out of the starting gate, when we're first talking to people, we're talking about our God is not Allah. Our God is not just a mono-God. Our God is one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We indicate that from the beginning. So faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Nobody becomes a disciple of Jesus without hearing the truth about him. How can we begin to do this? Can you talk about your, someone you love, someone that you know well, like your wife or your husband? Can you talk about him? Or if you don't like your wife or husband, how about your kids or your grandkids? Think of somebody you like and love and you know well, Hopefully I've had at least one of those in the process. And think about how easy it is to talk about them. And so that's how it is with Jesus, or should be with us. At least reminding myself, why? of course I've got to spill out about who Jesus is in my life, because I love him, because I know him. And so it should be natural for me to talk about him. I mentioned last week there are, there are creative ways. Uh, so Carl Medeiros, a, a a man whose family lived in Lebanon for about 15 years in the Middle East. Through a creative persuasion, he was able to encourage many Muslims, especially leaders, to go do Jesus studies in the Gospel of Luke. So while that may not be your method, uh, there are ways to get people to connect with Jesus. So again, how can you participate in the work of leading people to Christ? Global Prayer Digest, I'll encourage you to grab one back from the information desk. We only have a few because only a few are taken, but it would be a good thing to run out of. Tells a story about uh, Isik Abla. Isik Abla was born in Istanbul, Turkey. She was raised and physically abused in a devout Muslim home. When she looked to Allah for answers, Isik found that he too was angry and pers- that he too, was angry and personal and hateful. Nevertheless, she held tight to the God of Islam, immersing herself in Quranic studies. She entered college when she was only 16 and earned a bachelor's degree in literature, followed by an advanced business degree. She worked as an executive assistant for some of the largest corporations in Turkey. In 1996, she fled to America. Overqualified and struggling with her new language, She drifted from one dead-end job to another. 
and in and out of dysfunctional relationships. She slid into severe depression and became suicidal. Her dreams of finding love and healing in America were shattered when she found herself in another abusive relationship. In 2000, her husband threw her out of a car on the highway. That same night, Jesus revealed himself to Isaac in a miraculous way, and her life began to change. She got a job at a Christian company, and her boss led her to accept Christ. More doors opened, and she was given a position as chief financial officer, then as a CEO for the North American operations of a European corporation. I love a lot of things about that story. One of the things I love about it is this Christian boss. I wonder how he was praying that he could be used by God. And then God brings this woman to his employment. So this is just a normal guy, a normal everyday CEO of a company, uh, used to bring this woman to Christ. And so even though she had had some good things happen in her life toward the end that led to her being open to it, she still needed to hear the gospel. And so this is a good example of God at work, God's orchestrating. It's not like it's all up to us and it's not going to happen apart from uh, our efforts, but God uses our efforts, our availability uh, to, to, lead, to lead people to Jesus. And they, they do need to hear the gospel in order to be saved. So may her tribe increase. And then the third thing, so we make disciples going, baptizing, and then teaching teaching, pretty heavy-duty requirement. Those from the nation's ethnic groups who believe in Jesus and are baptized, Jesus' disciples are to teach, to observe, to keep everything, all he has commanded. And with this task, it's very clear that the commission, the mandate to make disciples of all ethnic groups cannot be limited to leading them only to faith in Christ. It must be connected to the context of teaching about keeping all that Christ commanded. Man, that's a huge work to do. That me- so this means the task involves disciple-making, church-planning movements among every people group. Every nation, every ethnic group needs to see and have access, and that's the key thing, access to uh, a group of believers, disciple make- disciples who are making disciples within a church context so that they can see what it's like to be a follower of Christ in their culture. So, How can we participate in gospel-advancing, disciple-making efforts through our little Harvest Community Church? And so we'll just mention some things here, and then we'll bring it to a close. First of all, keep our church strong, because strong churches are gospel churches. So keep us accountable in terms of preaching the gospel, preaching and teaching the Word of God. Uh, Pray that we be Spirit-filled so that we love and obey Christ. So just the basics, basics of being a solid, strong church built upon the foundation of Christ. And then pray. Lots and lots of prayer is needed. Praying for family and friends who don't know Jesus, neighbors who don't know Jesus, that our local ministries connect to gospel opportunities. So Harvest Kids, may God use Harvest Kids to do that. Pray for them regularly. Pray for Young Life. Uh, but God will work through Young Life to bring people to himself. High School Story Week, planning on doing that again, I think, for uh, this year. Pathways, which is Community Pregnancy Clinic. Uh, track the uh, ministry to uh, foster children that we've been engaging in the last few years. Open House Ministries for homeless 
All God's Children International pray that they would be, the orphanages would be gospel light bearers in the communities that they are around the world. Christian families would adopt them. Sarah Deal in support of Bible translation. By the way, there's a really cool thing going on in Bible translation that Wycliffe and other agencies are partnering together. They have a goal, and it seems realistic. They might reach it, that by 2025, there will be a Bible translation project in every single language in the world. And that's pretty awesome. So pray for that. Uh, the Pringle family in Spain that are working at the European Training Center equipping believers of Muslim backgrounds in North Africa and the Middle East. Ron Frost in Barnabas Ministries and is equipping national leaders and pastors. Roderick Gilbert, who we recently connected with last year, went, went to see him a couple times last year. Uh, <clears throat> in terms of leading a church planting movement of thousands of house churches being planted and started every year in northern India where there are tons of unreached people groups. And A.J. Pillay, uh, many of you should have received a sheet of paper about how to pray for him. We're going to do that, I think, together here. Um, 50 years of ministry in North India. And there's a couple other items there to pray for them. He's asked for prayer for their children's gathering ministries that are going on for the last seven months in northern India. Again, high group, unreached people group uh, concentration. And many people are coming to Christ through that. And then one of their pastors who was killed by a Hindu radical, praying for that family. So there's lots to pray for. I mentioned Global Prayer Digest. It's a learn and pray. Uh, every, every couple of months, one of these comes out. And for the heavy-duty, heavy-lifting Operation World, tells you how to, uh, uh, teaches you about every nation on the face of the earth and how to pray for them. So that's a lot of tools there for prayer. Next week, we're going to pray for John Stevens in terms of his trip to India. So there's a, a big need there. Local, what do you do what you love and are good at in ministry? What's your passion? Short-term missions, do what you love and are good at. What is your passion? Talked a couple weeks ago to a chiropractor who went with Medical Teams International to the Syrian border. He was actually stationed in Lebanon but ministering to the Syrians who, who are in such a desperate situation over there. Doing what he loved is hard, hard work, but doing what he loved. Medium and long-term missions. Do what you love and are good at. Share your passion, your business, your trade, your, your uh, profession, equipping and training national workers. Because uh, Americans are not largely welcome in almost any country where, where the gospel is desperately needed unless you come in with money and skill. So you can't come in and say, hey, I'm a missionary. Can I win people to Christ in your country? They'll probably say, don't, don't even come close. But you can get in with skills and, uh, and money, businesses. Take the Perspectives course, Perspectives in the World Christian Movement, whenever you can. We try to have it nearby here once a year. And then we're going to try to keep you better informed about our, our missionaries, uh, their birth dates and so on, to support them. When you give to our church budget, you help us to support the missionaries that are in our church budget. But right now, we're only at 7.25% missions budget. We really want to up that. So uh, pray for us that next year we'll be able to get at least to 10%. And, and so giving is huge. S writing letters to missionaries, sending, supporting them is huge. Well, is the task going to be completed? Yes, we see that Jesus promises, I will be with you until the end of the age. This is his promise. He will be with us. And we see in, um, 
And he's going to be with us to ensure that we carry out the task and, and finish it. And then in Revelation, several places we could look at, but we'll just close with this text. In Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, this is John writing, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, every ethnic group is going to be represented in the kingdom, the final kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. Every ethnic group. All tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and to, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God and to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we long for that day when all the nations will be represented in the kingdom when Jesus returns. In the meantime, we long, Father, that you would grant us at least a mind to pray, to be aware of the needs that are there. Very often, Father, we'll say, well, the needs are so great in our own community. How can we think about anything else? Father, the needs are huge here. And yet you said that we are to be concerned about both, the near needs and far needs as well. So, Father, you've entrusted to us some points of contact with the 1040 window through ministries in India and other ministries as well that reach into the unreached peoples. So thank you for that. We pray for, for more involvement. We pray for more giving. We pray for more prayer. We pray for more going. We pray, Father, that you would raise up people from this church to take steps of further entering into your mission for the glory of Christ and for the multiplication of disciples among the nations. It is in his name we pray. Amen.